Welcome to Hooked. I'm Rachel, your guide through the perplexing and sometimes deadly world of internet catfishing. Why do people catfish, and how many lies can they tell before they get caught? Stick around to find out in this week's episode of Hooked. Renee Marsden was an easy child to raise, according to her mother, Teresa. Born on October 15, 1992, in Fairfield, Sydney, Australia, Renee's parents divorced when she was still a baby. Her stepfather, Mark, whom Teresa married when Renee was eight, was the only father she'd ever known, and when Renee got older, she chose to take his last name, Marsden. Mark and Teresa had three children together, and despite the large age gap, Renee was close with all of them. Renee was described as mature, smart, outgoing, and friendly. Her mother said that her gift was that she could connect with anyone. Unfortunately, Renee's openness is what allowed a dangerous person to enter her life. Camilla Zaiden lived just around the corner from the Marsdens, but the two girls didn't know each other until they started high school at age 14. Camilla was a troubled child and took her angst out on the other students when she was younger, becoming the school bully. In 2007, when the girls entered high school, fate rather cruelly brought Renee and Camilla together. Teresa could see Camilla's bad influence almost immediately. Renee had been with a boyfriend for almost a year when she and Camilla met, but since Camilla didn't like him, she got Renee to break up with him. The two would skip school to hang out and smoke cigarettes. Renee became more withdrawn, and her usually high grades started to slip. Renee spent a lot of time with her cousins Alana and Stephanie, and they noticed bruises on Renee's body, which she told them came from Camilla. Stephanie told Renee to break off the friendship with Camilla, but Renee didn't. Just like in an abusive romantic relationship, Renee was convinced that it was her fault, and Camilla would love bomb her to make her think everything was going to be okay, and then beat her up again. Camilla was obsessed with Renee. She wanted to spend every moment together. But Renee wanted a life as well. While Renee got good grades, she didn't think university was for her. So while she was still in high school, Renee got a part-time job in a hair salon two days a week, hoping to one day have a salon of her own. From the research I've done, it doesn't seem like Camilla really had a plan for her own life. She simply followed Renee around from one place, one job, one school to another. Camilla's family enabled their daughter's bad behavior and aimlessness. They saw no issues with the things Camilla did, and so as Renee and Camilla's friendship continued, things just got worse. In 2008, Camilla continued her physical violence, sometimes shoving Renee into walls and pinning her there. A few times, she even got sexually aggressive. Renee told Stephanie that after shoving and hitting her, Camilla would try to forcibly kiss Renee. Despite Renee asking her not to, Stephanie told Renee's mother. When asked about it, Renee admitted to Teresa that she was afraid of her best friend. Teresa found emails from Camilla that were creepy and abusive. One read, I love you so much, baby. You can get phone sex with me every night, and then I will give you sex in bed, okay? Another one read, Anyone who takes you away from me is going to be sorry. I'll be Kung Fu Panda and smash them. I swear to God, kid, you're going nowhere. Do you understand me? You kill me, I'll be your ghost. You hate me, I'll still love you. Run away, chase you. You hide, I will hunt you down. You got no way to escape, baby. I don't think you have any way out of this love story, gorgeous. I'm too in love with you and too obsessed with you. It's forever. Between the emails slash texts and the physical abuse, the Marsden parents went to the high school and had a meeting with the administration. This would hardly be the last talk they'd have with the school about their concerns regarding Camilla. Teresa told Renee that if she didn't stop talking to Camilla, she'd stop paying Renee's phone bill. When she did stop paying for it, Camilla bought Renee a phone. 
People in the girls' high school started to suspect that Renee and Camilla were a couple. While there's really no evidence of this from Renee's side, I have a feeling Camilla may have started these rumors on her own. Camilla told Renee she was getting harassing phone calls about being gay. She texted Renee about some people who would just prank phone called her. I'll kill them both. I'll snap their necks out of place. No one will ever say shit about me. While I certainly know that school kids can be mean, I find it odd that only Camilla received these harassing phone calls. Even if Renee was more well-liked than Camilla, which she definitely was, there would be at least one homophobic asshole who would tease her, especially if they could do it anonymously. Since Renee's future plans weren't academic, she convinced her parents to let her drop out of school at 16. She told Teresa that she and Mark were just wasting money by sending her to school, when what she really wanted from life was to be a wife and a mother. The Marstons agreed to let her drop out if she got a job. And so in 2009, Renee started at cosmetology school, as well as keeping her part-time salon job. For a while, she didn't have much contact with Camilla, and life was good. A guy named Angus, who was a client of Renee's at the salon, asked her out, and they began seriously dating. So seriously that they actually wrote up a contract detailing their future together. As you might have guessed, Camilla was not happy that Renee's attention was taken up with school, work, and Angus. In the summer of 2009, Renee and Camilla happened to run into one another in the hallway of a building. Camilla began to chase Renee and pulled her hair. Despite it being a continuation of abuse, Renee was too scared to report her to the police. That summer, Camilla also dropped out of school and joined Renee's cosmetology program. This was too much for Renee. She couldn't go back to seeing Camilla every day. She and her mother arranged to meet Camilla and her mother in a cafe, where Renee told Camilla she didn't want to be friends with her anymore. Camilla, of course, was furious, and when Camilla's mom told her that she had to respect Renee's wishes, Camilla yelled at her to shut the fuck up. Her yelling got to the point that Teresa gave Renee the keys to her car so Renee could stay in there until Camilla calmed down. But as Renee left, Camilla chased her out of the cafe and grabbed her in the parking lot. As Renee tried to get into the car, Camilla threw herself between the door and the seat. Teresa had to step in and get Camilla away from her daughter. Eventually, the Marstons managed to get in the car and drive away. Renee's life calmed down for a bit after that. She managed to avoid Camilla despite them living so close together, and even being in the same school. By April of 2010, Renee was almost done with her hairdressing qualification. She and Angus were still dating, and all was well. So obviously, Camilla had to fuck it up. She contacted Renee and mocked Angus, saying he looked like a Ken doll. She texted and called Renee incessantly. She would stand outside Renee's job and home, hoping to ambush her. Renee told Teresa that anywhere she went, Camilla would show up. Once, when the mother and daughter went to a local library, Camilla turned up and cornered Renee, saying, As long as you refuse to answer my phone calls, I will continue to follow you. Once again, people in Renee's life noticed that she was covered in bruises. No longer was Renee able to just ignore Camilla at cosmetology school, and into October of 2010, despite being almost done, Renee pulled out of her course and began a receptionist job at her parents' business. In April 2011, Camilla told Renee she'd started seeing a guy called Brayden. According to Camilla, Brayden was from a rich family and attended a prestigious Australian university. But even with her own boyfriend to attend to, a few months later, Camilla sent Renee Facebook messages saying she felt second best to Angus in Renee's life. When Renee didn't make any changes, Camilla took one day in October to call Renee 54 times. That got Renee's attention. She texted her, That's fucked. I'm sorry, Camilla, but that's possessive. If you can't see that, there's something terribly wrong with you. Camilla replied, We fight every day. We argue. I love you. I love you. 
And Renee wrote back, there's only so much of your arguing and possessiveness I can take. And then she added, I love you and always will. Camilla told Renee that she had to choose between her best friend and her boyfriend, but Renee told her that she couldn't expect Renee to make Camilla her number one priority at all times. So soon after, Camilla started forwarding Renee texts that had apparently been sent by a friend who told her Angus was just using Renee for sex and had been dating other women. Renee, of course, was upset by this and confronted Angus. He denied it, but even so, she broke up with him. Magically, Camilla also broke up with her boyfriend at the same time. Teresa was pissed when she found out that Renee was talking to Camilla again, but Renee told her that Camilla had changed. Teresa trusted her daughter, so she agreed to give Camilla another chance. Soon after the women reunited, Camilla told Renee that she thought Renee would be a great fit for her ex, Braden Spiteri. Renee thought this was kind of weird, you know, girl code and all of that, but Camilla told Renee that she just wanted her to be happy, and if Braden made her happy, that was fine. So on November 27th, 2010, Braden contacted Renee through Camilla's Facebook. He asked Camilla for reassurance if he could talk to Renee, and Camilla said she was fine with it. As the conversations picked up, Camilla forwarded Renee messages that Brayden wrote about her. She's a beautiful girl. I love her more than anything, he wrote to Camilla. To which Camilla responded, I agree. She is so beautiful. She is the best, best friend ever. At this point, Renee had just turned 18 and Brayden was 24. Teresa thought it was weird that Camilla had pushed her ex on Renee. Given how possessive she was of Renee, why would Camilla suggest a potential boyfriend to the object of her obsession? And her own ex? Angus still had contacts with the Marsdens, and they all agreed that this was shady. About a month or so into Renee and Brayden talking, Angus messaged Brayden on Facebook. By now, Brayden had his own page. While Brayden didn't really give Angus much in the messages, Angus noticed that Brayden's and Camilla's Facebook profiles looked pretty much identical, with the same interests and the same friends. Sometimes Brayden, who had the passwords to Renee's Facebook, would use Renee's profile to talk to Angus, and comparing Brayden's writing and Camilla's writing, Angus could see that the styles were identical. Same spelling errors, same way of speaking. Spelling and grammatical errors seem to be a common way that catfish get their identities discovered. Pro tip to any future catfish, learn which you're to use and stop spelling definitely as defiantly and you won't get caught as quickly. I have yet to come across a case where a forensic linguist goes, these two people both have impeccable grammar, they're probably the same person. Angus brought his suspicions to Renee, but Renee didn't believe him. She accused Angus of just wanting to break up her and Brayden so he could date her again. And like, yeah, but Angus was also sure that Brayden wasn't real. But Renee was already in deep. On December 5th, 2011, Renee posted on Facebook, a thousand angels dance around you. I'm complete now I found you. Blech. A few days later, she posted, It's funny how you can tell someone you love them 50 times a day and it's never good enough. God, am I glad those kinds of Facebook statuses are phased out now. Brayden showed his true colors. Renee texted him a picture of her dressed up for a party that night. Brayden told her that she needed to cover up and she'd better not be unfaithful. Throughout the night, Brayden texted Renee and so did Camilla, reminding Renee how hurt Brayden would be if she cheated on him. The next morning, Brayden broke up with Renee, saying she had cheated on him with Angus. They were done. While the Marsted family was on a cruise in January of 2012, Camilla got a message from Brayden, who was upset that Renee wasn't glued to her phone while on vacation. Camilla passed this message on to Renee on January 29th, and Renee replied the next day, saying she'd be home in a few days. Camilla replied that Brayden was crying. Didn't Renee care? Also, Camilla added, she'd been on a date. Wasn't that great? 
But tragedy awaited Renee when she returned to Australia. Between her texts with Camilla and her arriving home, Brayden had landed himself in jail. Camilla explained that Brayden had gone on a motorcycle ride with his best friend Richie. Brayden ended up crashing the bike, and while he came out unscathed, Richie had been killed. Brayden was now in jail on manslaughter charges. But never fear, Brayden's parents' money was here. They couldn't get him out of jail, but they could bribe a guard to let Brayden keep a cell phone on him. That way, Renee didn't have to go through all the pesky jail phone systems, and the ex-couple could text to their heart's delight. No phone calls, though. Brayden didn't want to be overheard and have his phone confiscated. I guess now is a good time to mention that, shocker, Renee had never had a phone call with Brayden. Renee told her family about Brayden's plight, and they felt for Brayden. He hadn't meant to hurt his friend, but still he had to pay the price at 25 years old. Renee was eager to visit him, but uh, she couldn't. In order to get a lighter sentence, Brayden had, had given up his visitation rights. So the couple had to make do with texting and Facebook messaging. Renee would sometimes send Brayden an audio message, but this was never reciprocated. Brayden must have been bored in jail, because just a month after he'd arrived there, Brayden was regularly messaging with Renee's friends, including Camilla and Angus. Once, Brayden sent a nude picture to most of Renee's Facebook friends, and she got angry. Brayden was like, fine, if you'd want me to send nudie pics to random people in your life, I'll close my account. Would that make you happy? God. Renee said she wanted a break. A day or two later, Brayden sent Renee a picture of an expensive watch and said he would get it for her if she wanted it. Renee replied that she didn't want a present, she wanted a way to feel less angry about their argument. She joked, rather oddly, considering who she was talking to, that having sex with a hot guy might help. Brayden said that she shouldn't go out and fuck a hot guy. She should fuck Camilla. Renee texted back in all caps, no. In April of 2012, Teresa liked a Facebook post by Angus, and hours later, Brayden started sending Renee abusive texts, as well as texting Teresa, you're an unfit mother for liking your daughter's ex-boyfriend's posts. That same month, Brayden needed surgery and told Renee he wouldn't be in contact while he recovered, since he would be watched more closely and couldn't reveal that he had a phone. He said, though, that his lawyer would let her know how his surgery had gone. Camilla was on holiday at the time, but it ended up being she who let Renee know that Brayden had come through the procedure just fine. By this point, everyone in Renee's life knew about Brayden. She talked openly about him and his tribulations. Cousin Stephanie thought there was something odd about Brayden's entire existence, and Teresa told Renee that Brayden was rude, arrogant, and that the relationship was unhealthy. Renee told her mom not to worry. She planned to break up with Brayden. Which is weird because, as far as I remember, they were on a break and never officially got back together. But whatever. By June of 2012, Brayden told Renee that he should be getting out of jail soon, but I guess Renee had re-broken up with him because she started seeing a guy named Ian whom she worked with. And they were serious. Renee stayed at Ian's place several nights a week. Renee was still occasionally in contact with Brayden and even told him about Ian. While exchanging horror stories about exes, no doubt, Renee told Ian about Brayden, but she included a few fibs, like the fact that she'd met Brayden in person and even met his family. Ian said later that he suspected most of what Renee told him about the guy wasn't true. Brayden, obviously, was not pleased that Renee was with a new guy. Renee posted a picture on Facebook in which a sliver of Ian, or perhaps some other man who had dared to be close to Renee, could be seen and Brayden immediately started spamming Ian with harassing texts. Stay the fuck away from Renee. And let's not forget about dear Camilla. While Brayden harassed Ian, Camilla did the same to Renee, saying Renee was unfaithful. Like, she broke up with Brayden, she can date or have sex with whoever she wants. In October, when a group of Renee and Camilla's mutual friends went to a casino, Camilla pushed and hit Renee. 
This was the last straw for Renee, and she changed her phone number. Once Camilla realized Renee wasn't ignoring her calls or texts, she just wasn't getting them, Camilla, as Teresa would put it, went psycho. She visited the Marstons when Renee wasn't home and had a breakdown in front of Teresa, sobbing that once Brayden got out of prison, Renee was going to forget all about her. Teresa told her that if Brayden was a confident man, he'd let Renee have her own life. In January of 2013, Renee and Ian got engaged. Renee's life was looking up. Ian wasn't an abuser, the bar is really on the floor, she had a new receptionist job, and she was considering going to university for forensic science. Since she dropped out of high school, Renee started taking courses in laboratory technology to get her high school equivalency certificate. But while Ian loved Renee and was looking forward to marrying her, he told her that she had to stop talking to Brayden or their marriage would fail. Under normal circumstances, I'd see this as a red flag, with the guy giving an ultimatum, but as we know, Renee wasn't having casual or even friendly exchanges with Brayden. Not only was Brayden routinely harassing her, he was doing the same to Ian. It was untenable. And so, Renee chose Brayden. Renee told Ian that she still wanted to be friends with him, but she really wanted to try and make it work with Brayden, now that he was getting out of jail soon. But as soon as Renee and Brayden got back together, the constant arguments started again, and I'm betting Renee was missing Ian, but too embarrassed to admit she had been wrong. It was the usual cycle of abuse, love bombing, and more abuse. Brayden told Renee where she could go, when, and with whom. In March of 2013, Renee and Camilla went out to dinner. Ian happened to be in the same restaurant, and Renee asked him if he wanted to meet up with her and Camilla in the bar next door. He said okay, but when Renee told Camilla about this, Camilla got so upset that they had to go home. On the drive back, Camilla beat Renee up, hitting her and pulling her hair. Once she was alone, Renee texted Brayden, I think now Camilla and I are done for good. She hit me in the nose and was screaming the whole way home. I don't feel safe with her and I can't do it anymore. All she kept saying was, you're dead, I'm going to fucking kill you. Brayden advised Renee to not see Camilla anymore, even for her upcoming 21st birthday. He also told her that she couldn't talk to Ian anymore because he had been the reason for the women's fight. Renee reminded him that Camilla had been violent long before Ian came in the picture. By the end of their discussion, Brayden had changed his mind. Renee should see Camilla for her birthday. And so Renee did. She took Camilla out and gave her a letter thanking her for introducing her and Brayden. Quote, If it wasn't because of you, I wouldn't have met the one person who means everything to me. Since Brayden was still in jail, he and Renee started sexting. Renee sent him risque photos and videos of herself and was upset when Brayden wouldn't send any of his own. They talked about getting married once Renee turned 21 in a few months. She immediately got excited, reading wedding magazines and probably using Pinterest. She booked a wedding photographer for late November. She wrote to the Greek consulate to see what was required for a felon to be allowed to enter the country on a tourist visa. She texted Brayden, I have never kissed you or held you in my arms, but every day I feel like I have. You make me the happiest girl in the world. I love you so much. One day I will make you my husband. Around this time, Camilla started dating a guy named Michael. Despite him taking up some of her time, Camilla still managed to harass Renee over text. Renee told Brayden about this, and he encouraged her to stay friends with Camilla. Then, one day, seemingly out of nowhere, Brayden accused Renee of cheating on him. Renee apologized profusely. She texted Brayden, I truly thought you were everything. I saw my future with you. I would do whatever it took to give it to you. I hate myself for what I did to you. This makes a lot of people think that she actually had cheated on him, but considering how beaten down and gaslit Renee was at this point, I don't think her apologizing to him necessarily means that she had done anything wrong. In any case, they were once more broken up. 
Renee asked Brayden if she could have a keepsake to remember him by, but Brayden said all of his things were put into storage when he went to prison, and only his lawyer had the key. Renee said that was fine, she'd just accompany the lawyer to the unit. Brayden told her no and said she was a materialistic bitch. As Renee's 21st birthday approached, she decided she wanted to go to New York City to celebrate. Brayden said she should go without him. He said because there was a lot of paperwork for him to do. I say it was because they weren't dating anymore. You called her a bitch, dude. No NYC for you. Brayden told Renee that his phone was acting up, and Renee offered her Blackberry as a temporary phone while she got his repaired. He thanked her but said he didn't know how she'd get it to him. Renee told him she'd drop it off at his lawyer's office, and Brayden was like, Aw, babe, that's a good idea. Just one thing, I don't know my lawyer's office address. Renee was like, how do you not know his address? It's printed on every piece of paper he gives you. Just look at one of those. Brayden replied sweetly, who the fuck are you to question what my meetings are about and fucking who with? Renee threatened to break up with him if he didn't calm down, but like, aren't they already broken up? The next day, Camilla contacted Renee and told her she needed to be more patient with Brayden or she'd lose him. One can only hope. In late May, Renee told Brayden, I go through hell every day with you. She told him she wanted to talk to his lawyer about why he hadn't been released from prison yet. Almost a year had passed since Brayden told Renee he was getting out soon. Brayden told Renee to mind her own business, and Renee said she wouldn't speak to him again until he gave her that information. For some reason, Brayden's refusal to give this information was the thing that made Renee suspicious. She wrote to Brayden, There's some things that just don't make sense to me, and I'm finding hard to believe. My heart's breaking over and over, trying to understand why you don't want me to know things. Brayden replied, I've told you everything. Renee was like, you change your story. And Brayden tried to distract her going, I love you. I've told you everything. Renee said, you've told me everything, but it doesn't make sense. Brayden, just please stop questioning me and have some faith. Renee, I'm trying to have faith, but it's hard. Weeks ago, we were so excited to get married. Now you're just changing it. I'm broken, Brayden. This conversation reminds me so much of exchanges I had with my abusive ex, and I wish I could just yell at Renee, get out. According to Brayden, his mother had died a year earlier, and with Mother's Day approaching, Renee was worried that Brayden would be upset going through his first mother-centered holiday without his own mom. So Renee offered to go put some flowers on his mother's grave to honor her. Brayden said thanks, but she didn't have to do that. Renee thought this was strange, but everyone experiences grief differently, so she let it go. And that's the thing that upsets me most about this case, that Renee was so loving and considerate still after everything Brayden had put her through. Meanwhile, Camilla was still physically abusing Renee. On May 19th, Renee texted her, OMG, my lip is split in two places because of you. Camilla didn't answer right away. A few hours later, she casually asked how Renee's day was going. Renee replied, good, thank you. How are you? Renee. Later that month, the women got into a tiff because Renee asked Camilla to borrow some money. Camilla was so indignant that she threatened to send nude pictures of Renee to Renee's parents. Not sure how Camilla had nude pictures of Renee, but perhaps Brayden had sent them to her. Brayden continued to be controlling, not allowing Renee to have any male friends. She couldn't hang out with her co-workers of any gender or go to the gym. He was convinced Ray was cheating on him with zero evidence. As June arrived, Renee and Camilla weren't talking much. Renee was busy with work and Brayden, and Camilla was preparing for a month-long trip to America with her family. She was going to be gone all of July with her phone turned off, and Renee was ready for that break from Camilla. Then, coincidence of coincidences, Brayden let Renee know that he too would be phoneless for all of July, and Renee was ready to have him out of the picture too. They were fighting so much that Renee told Brayden she didn't want to get married until he made some changes. 
Brayden said that she needed to make some changes too, and told her that she was too emotional and misinterpreted everything he said. Needless to say, Renee could not wait for his phone to be turned off for a month. After a blissful month with just people who were nice to her, Camilla came back from the US on the 29th, and Brayden also happened to get his phone back within a day or two of her return. Funnily enough, Camilla and Renee's mom, Teresa, were on a community soccer team together, and in August, the public matches began. Renee wanted to support both her friend and her mom, so she attended pretty much all of them. For a match on August 4th, Renee brought a friend along with her, and as friends do, the two were chatting during the game. While they were talking, Camilla scored a goal. Renee missed it. When Camilla found this out, she let Renee feel the full wrath of her anger. It was bad enough that Renee told Camilla she wouldn't be attending any more games. This didn't seem like much of a sacrifice at all, but Renee probably wanted to be there to support her mom at least, and now Camilla had ruined a good time. On August 5th, 2012, Renee left the Marsden house around 7 a.m. to go to work. Brayden had a court appearance that day, so she texted him good luck at 7.34. She and Brayden hadn't spoken in over a month, but she wanted to make sure he knew that whatever they were fighting about, she was still in his corner. She told him to text her back after if he felt like it. Renee went about her morning at work, texting Camilla a few times around 11.30 a.m. Then at 11.53, Brayden finally texted Renee. We don't know what was said, but after an hour and a half of steady texting, Renee told her coworker Joseph that Brayden was being rude. Joseph invited her to go out to lunch with him to cheer her up, and Renee accepted. She and Brayden texted more up until Renee left to go to lunch with Joseph around 1.30. As the two were waiting to get their food, Brayden sent a barrage of texts and Renee started crying in the restaurant so hard that Joseph had to take her back to work. When they got back to the office, Renee grabbed her stuff and went home. She was still crying when she walked in the door, but told Teresa nothing was wrong. As Renee was in her room, Teresa got a text from Brayden. Sort your daughter, threatening to kill herself. Teresa, please explain to me why a young woman would want to kill herself. Brayden, ask her yourself. Teresa, have you ever thought that you were the problem? Brayden, I'm the problem, am I? Have you ever thought you neglected her when she clearly needs help? Teresa, if there is a God, he will answer my prayers. Time will tell. Brayden, he only answers people who are genuine. Teresa, that explains why you're in jail and I'm here. Brayden, I know I'm not a good person, but I must be something if your daughter loves me. Obviously, this exchange upset Teresa, and she went to Renee's room to ask her if Brayden's text about her being suicidal was true. Renee said, don't be stupid. Teresa showed Renee Brayden's obnoxious-ass texts, and Renee told her, you don't have to worry anymore, Mom. I found out what he's all about. It's over. She told her mom that she was going to go out with her coworkers that night. When Teresa left Renee's room, Renee sent about five texts to Brayden, but they went unanswered. When Teresa got home from picking up her younger kids at the bus stop, Renee was headed out in a new outfit and makeup. She told Teresa she wouldn't be out late and left. At 5.49, while at her son's swimming lesson, Teresa got a text from Renee. I love you so much. I'm sorry for everything and the pain I will now cause you, but I'll be okay. I'll still be here and be around when you need to talk to me. You're the most amazing person and mother and my very best friend. I wasn't happy and I need you to understand that it's okay. Don't let this ruin everyone else you need to take care of, okay? I need you to be strong for me. This message was obviously alarming to Teresa and she tried to call Renee. She didn't pick up. She texted her daughter, answer your phone, please. Teresa tried not to worry too much. Renee was 20 years old and she was sad, but that didn't mean her text was a goodbye message. However, soon after, Renee showed the text to a friend of hers, and the friend told her to call the police immediately. 
Later, the police would find out by looking at Renee's phone records that at 2.44 p.m. while in her room, Renee called the prison where Braden was allegedly held. The call lasted 90 seconds. At 5.46, three minutes before she texted her mom, Renee got a text from Braden. We don't know what it said. She answered with three quick texts, then three more. Nothing. She texted Camilla. While she was doing all of this, Renee was sitting in her red Mazda in the parking lot of The Gap, a scenic overlook in Sydney that sits atop a steep cliff. Below is the ocean. Immediately after sending Teresa the apology text, Renee got out of her car and CCTV caught her walking to the fence that surrounded the cliff's edge. At 5.51, she climbed over the safety fence. She received a text from Brayden and replied. She sat down on the edge of the cliff and looked over it. At 5.45, she turned off her phone and threw it over the cliff. She never saw Brayden's last text to her. At 5.56, she began to climb down the side of the cliff, disappearing from CCTV. Later, the police would watch the next 10 hours from that CCTV camera, but Renee never came back up. At 8.18 p.m., Teresa texted Camilla and asked her if she had heard from Renee. Remember, Renee was supposed to be out with friends. Is everything okay? Teresa asked. Camilla said she had gotten a message from Renee a few hours ago, but nothing since then. Worried, Camilla and her mom came to pick up Teresa and the three drove around town looking for Renee's car. Camilla directed them to a house in Glenhaven where she said Brayden's sister lived. Perhaps Renee was there. She wasn't. Finally, Teresa called the police. While we often hear of police brushing instances like this off since adults are allowed to go missing whenever they want, Renee's final text to Teresa was concerning, especially once they found out that Renee had never turned up to dinner with her friends. At 8.45, the police found Renee's car. Renee's car was usually a mess, full of clothes and papers and personal touches. But the Mazda was clean, except for the phone Renee used as an MP3 player and a valentine from Brayden. This valentine was a collage of pictures of Brayden with I love you written on it. Renee's shoes were found at the beginning of the short path that led to the overlook. On August 6th, the day after Renee disappeared, there were searches by land and air. Divers searched the ocean floor twice, but found nothing. They told Teresa that if Renee had jumped off the cliff, her body would wash up within three days. While the rescue team was searching for Renee, Camilla texted her boyfriend, My best friend committed suicide last night. She jumped off the gap. I'm not going to work. Thirteen minutes later, she texted Teresa. Renee has always been like this. It's not Brayden's fault. Can't blame one person. Then, she said to this panicked mother, she always said she hated being at home before she met Brayden. He was hurting as well, I'm sure. I can't handle this because I can't live without Renee. I don't want to know the outcome because I can't cope at all. Teresa asked if Renee had ever complained about anything, and again, Camilla said, about home, yes. She wanted to move out. For many days following Renee's disappearance, Camilla spent most of her time at the Marsden home with Teresa and Mark. When she saw that Teresa had texted Brayden, where are you, I want answers now, she told Teresa that it wasn't Brayden's fault. Mark asked how she knew this, and Camilla told her that after Renee stopped answering his texts, he'd called her from a private number and said that everyone was blaming him. Blaming him for what? No one knew anything had happened yet, Camilla. As they sat waiting for the phone to ring with a call from either the police or Brayden, Camilla informed the Marsdens that Renee beat her up a lot and was verbally abusive to her. This was a lie, of course, but Teresa thought Camilla might know where Renee was, so she didn't call Camilla a liar. She told Camilla that she'd given the police Brayden's phone number, and when she heard that, Camilla was surprised and panicked. When Teresa learned from the police that they'd found a phone in Renee's car, she wanted them to unlock it to see who and when Renee had called and texted. 
She didn't realize that Renee hadn't used this phone for anything but music for about two months. In any case, the police refused and gave the phone to Teresa, who tried to unlock it herself. Unfortunately, all of her attempts corrupted the phone's data. About three weeks after Renee disappeared, Teresa was encouraged by police to ask their phone service provider for records, including any that had been deleted. Unfortunately, the provider told her, they only kept the data of deleted texts for seven days. Teresa was pissed because if the police had looked into the texts when she'd asked them to, they would have been able to get that data, but now it was lost forever. Teresa and Mark pored over the records they could get and tried to piece together a timeline. From March to June, Renee and Brayden exchanged some 11,000 texts, not including Facebook messages. Nothing could be recovered for July through the day of Renee's disappearance, but remember, neither Camilla or Brayden was able to text through August 1st, and Brayden hadn't texted Renee again until the day she disappeared, so they weren't missing any real clues. The day Renee went missing, she and Brayden had exchanged 91 text messages, 64 of them being from Renee. Looking at the context of the texts, the Marstons figured out what Angus had realized a long time ago. Camilla was Brayden. This would have felt like a betrayal on its own, but Teresa was especially upset given the way Camilla had written to her on the day Renee disappeared, and even more so when they figured out that Camilla had put a tracking app on her friend's phone. The Marstons went to the police with the catfishing evidence, and to my surprise at least, they took it seriously. Senior Constable Georgia Robinson went through the police records and contacted the jail and King's school where Braden had allegedly gone. Neither of them had any record of a Braden Spiteri. Robinson called Camilla in for an interview and laid out the evidence showing that she was Braden. Camilla, of course, denied it and said that while she knew and had dated Braden in person, she didn't know much about him or his relationship with Renee. She vehemently denied being attracted to Renee, and when Robinson asked her again if she was Braden, Camilla said, No, I wish I was where Renee is now. I want to have the peace she is feeling now. I think she's really gone. The next day, Camilla was admitted to a hospital due to her family fearing she would harm herself. On September 10th, the police submitted a report to the New South Wales coroner saying that Renee Marsden was missing and suspected dead. Her body had never washed up in the predicted three days following her disappearance, but given the CCTV and the way the gap is laid out, there aren't really any other options. If Renee had simply climbed all the way down to the steep drop to the small strip of beach below, there was nowhere she could go from there. There's no way she could have climbed up the cliff at another point and just run off to start a new life. On the 23rd, the police went to the Zidans' home looking for Brayden's phone. They found no extra phone, no SIM card. They did find and seize letters from Renee to Camilla, and also found a love letter from Renee to Brayden torn up in the garbage. Looking through Camilla's phone, they found a picture of Camilla in some kind of nightclub with a guy, her head on his shoulder. There was another copy of the picture on her phone, but this time Camilla was cropped out. According to Camilla, she didn't know who the guy was, and there were two versions of the picture because Renee had cropped her out and sent herself the picture from Camilla's phone. The police asked Camilla once more if she had anything she wanted to tell them, and finally Camilla broke. She told them she'd been Brayden since at least November of 2011. Remember, Renee and Brayden had started talking in April of 2011. Camilla had no explanation of who the phantom texter was before she took over the Brayden persona eight months later. Camilla told the cops that the only reason she'd pretended to be Brayden was because Renee wanted her to. According to Camilla, she and Renee had created the Brayden character at the end of 2011 because the two women wanted to date but couldn't be out due to family disapproval. So Brayden allowed the two to talk romantically. 
There is, however, no evidence that either the Marsdens or the Zidens were homophobic, and indeed no evidence that the two women were in a romantic relationship. The police found no indication that Renee was gay or even bi. She dated exclusively men and had never shown interest in women, including Camilla. Camilla claimed that once she'd returned from her trip to America, she hadn't texted Renee as Brayden. I guess the phantom texter from mid-2011 took over for that last day. The police found more pictures of the man who was allegedly Brayden and discovered that the man in the pictures was the one Camilla took that nightclub picture with. But his name wasn't Brayden, and he had no idea his image was being used like it was. It was discovered in Camilla's phone records that on August 5th, as Renee was desperately texting her friend about Brayden's abuse, Camilla chose not to answer, instead texting her boyfriend Michael about an upcoming soccer game, and two friends about Michael, and maybe deleting her Facebook. As Renee was looking over the edge of the cliff, Camilla was on the phone with her friend Melanie. When Teresa was desperately texting Camilla, wondering if she'd heard from Renee, Camilla ignored the messages until she was done berating Michael about how he didn't pay enough attention to her. Later, when she knew her phone would be taken, Camilla deleted all the texts to Michael and Melanie, but they were able to be recovered. Camilla is not in jail. There were no charges that could be brought against her. It's not illegal to lie to your friend or pretend to be a fake person. A trial was held to determine whether what Camilla did broke rules against harassment, which could have gotten her three years in jail, but there wasn't enough solid evidence that Camilla had harassed Renee. Most of the abusive texts had come from Brayden, and it was hard to concretely prove that Camilla and Brayden were the same person. After Renee's disappearance, Teresa, wanting to believe that she was still alive, traveled throughout Australia putting up missing persons posters. It was hard for the Marsdens to see if Renee's bank cards were being used because they couldn't access her bank account. On February 10th, 2020, an inquest into Renee's case was held. Camilla was legally required to testify, but was granted immunity. Before the inquest began, Mark told the media, We've been waiting six years for the truth to come out. Hopefully we'll get that truth. Teresa said at first she felt bad, seeing her daughter's friend on the stand, but that feeling left her once Camilla started talking. Camilla denied everything. That she was Brayden, that she was verbally and physically abusive toward Renee, that she had stalked Renee. She even denied the meeting at the cafe with Renee, Teresa, and her own mother. She said that Renee was constantly threatening to kill herself, and on the 5th of August, Renee had texted her several times saying she didn't see the point in living. This contradicted what Camilla had told the police six years earlier, that she didn't remember anything Renee had texted her that day. She told the court that she had continued to be Brayden after Renee disappeared because she didn't know if Renee would come back. But that contradicted the text she had sent Michael on August 6th, telling her that her best friend had killed herself. She also said that she couldn't tell the police the truth about the Brayden cover-up because her allegedly homophobic parents were in the room during the interview. Oh, and Camilla also didn't remember her house being searched or being interviewed by the police, except that her parents were there and she lied about Brayden during one, I guess. When the coroner took the stand, she noted Camilla's lack of remorse during her testimony, saying that what Camilla said was disingenuous at best and ultimately nothing but a pack of lies. The coroner believed that Renee had no knowledge that Brayden was a lie, nor was Renee mentally ill or experiencing a break with reality. She also believed that Renee deliberately killed herself by jumping off the gap and that Camilla's treatment of her played a big part in that, though she noted that Camilla did not actively encourage Renee to end her life. The coroner noted that a lot of work was going to have to go into creating any anti-catfishing laws, and instead encouraged the court to look into redefining domestic abuse laws to include verbal and emotional abuse, stalking, and catfishing. Progress was being made on this after the inquest, but was tabled due to COVID-19. 
Renee's cousin Stephanie points it out that a law like this is needed because as the internet expands and encompasses more of our interactions, the odds of what happened to Renee happening to someone else grows exponentially. People like her cousin aren't stupid or gullible. Renee opened her heart to someone and paid the price. Thanks for checking out Hooked this week. We'll be back next week with a new story. But for right now, you can find me on social media on Twitter at HookedPodcast1, that's the number one at the end, on Instagram at HookedPodcast, and on Facebook at HookedThePodcast. Also, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com slash hookedthepod, where you can get access to early episodes and regularly released bonus episodes. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.